Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Well, we are back in on the latest edition of the SportsMediaWatch.com podcast, and I can truly say it has been quite the weekend on another continent for the host, uh, TJ Reeves. Uh, meantime, he is here with me to keep me straight, to keep me up to date on what time it is, what day it is, and make sure that uh, we get everything done that we need to get done on the podcast. Dr. John Lewis, good to be back with you, the owner of the operator. You read him all the time on SportsMediaWatch.com. How are things as we embark on a new podcast? Everything good? Um, you know, you're just uh, getting by, uh, dealing with all sorts of leaks, and you know, uh, <laughs> got uh, the the LG washing machine leaking into the basement. You know, oh, yeah. The, now the vital question, because I've dealt with this on a couple of occasions, have we isolated or found the leak yet, or are we still in oh. progress, like detectives? What's the update, real quick? Uh, the update is I'm waiting to hear about when I can get people from LG out or at least from LG, uh, you know, certified, whatever out here to fix it. Leak discoverers, if you will. Yeah. Luckily, uh, I, this, I didn't discover this leak until I'd done all of my laundry. So I don't have to use it. Although I'm not the only person in this house. (laughs) I can identify as a, as a married man with the twin daughters, the washer goes about, uh, I won't say 24 seven, but certainly every day, almost, it seems like in this house. So I can identify, you got to figure these things out. So good luck with that. Uh, With the home improvement situation, the housekeeping, we have plenty to discuss uh, here from the world of uh, sports and sports media, uh, from the NFL to the horrific tragedy at uh, the University of Virginia and and the ongoing situation, obviously, there as we uh, release this podcast. Uh, Much more on uh, college basketball being back, NBA to discuss and a lot. Uh, Thank you for finding us, by the way, however you have done so, as I always like to say. Uh, through John's site, sportsmediawatch.com, through a social media link. However you did so, make sure that you are following or subscribing on this feed. Again, you not only get this podcast, you get George Offman's Tell Me a Story I Don't Know. We always love his insight uh, each and every week with his guests, usually a Chicago-themed guest, like he's got the current voice of the Chicago Blackhawks on radio uh, as his guest this week, who's got an interesting story uh, to tell, obviously. Uh, so you get George's podcast series, but you also get uh, Mike and Phil with the announcer schedules podcast that is out every week where they go over the broadcasters in the booth, TV, radio, uh, big names, big calls of games. Uh, and they oftentimes have a broadcaster uh, or two that they uh, talk with on that show. And uh, we love their work as well. You get all of that on this feed by following or subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, etc. So uh, with that being said, we we begin this evening with what I alluded to, John, that I spent the weekend yeah. uh, in Munich, Germany, as part of the NFL's first ever international game in the regular season in Germany, where the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, I'm proud to say, found a way to beat the Seattle Seahawks and certainly brighten up the plane ride home, John Lewis, yes. with a win to get to five and five. It was quite the experience. Uh, I, I can, I'm can, i not overselling this just because we're on the podcast. It had like a playoff-type atmosphere. I don't think you go so far as to say a Super Bowl-type atmosphere, but 70,000-plus at Allianz Arena where the famed Bayern Munich a soccer or football club plays in that uh, half-billion-dollar facility that they're in. Buccaneers and Seahawks occupied that. Very competitive game. 
Good time had by all. I'll share a couple more things in, in a moment about the weekend, but we were there. Uh, we were we were part of all of that, part of the history of the Bucks winning the first ever game. Tom Brady becomes the first ever quarterback to win a game in four different countries, not just the United States, but Mexico, England, and now Germany as well. All right, so John, uh, the NFL Network televised, I would have to think without knowing the answer, that there might have been a little bump because of, of the Buccaneers, Brady, and the fact that it was a close game. How did that do beginning things on an NFL Sunday for uh, the international game? Well, uh, most watched uh, early uh, international game, 9.30 a.m., ever on NFL Network, surpassing the previous high set by Giants-Packers just a few weeks earlier. 5 million viewers, 5.5 million. So uh, healthy tune-in. Uh, you know, obviously, uh, it's Brady. Uh, and, uh, you know, Brady is like LeBron in that people will tune in no matter what the record. Of course, the Buccaneers record a little bit better than the Lakers, right? Pretty <laughs> take five and five over three and ten. Do the Lakers have five wins yet? I haven't checked my no, NBA standings not. recently. Not yet. Okay. They, they get many more chances to get five wins than you do in the NFL. Keep going. Yeah, well, they've got uh, about 60-something more chances to get to five wins. I'm not, <laughs> not so they'll get there. But... Uh, you know, look, uh, people enjoy watching Tom Brady. They like watching him lose. They like watching him win. They just like watching him. And, uh, you know, uh, it's not a surprise that game did so well. Uh, and uh, the Seahawks being so good this season helped. And, you know, that 930 window, it's not going to ever get great numbers. But, right. You know, can, I, te- big, can but- I tell you, you were, you were kind of cautioning uh, on this that the uh, Giants and Packers, you're obviously dealing with the New York market there. Aaron Rodgers for Green Bay, that was kind of the standard. It surprises me a little bit, even with a close game, that the Buccaneers got there. But again, I I think it just reinforces what you said. The Tom Brady love or hate factor has got a lot of people interested whenever he's involved. And a close game helps it too, which was the case um, on uh, on Sunday. Um, All right, so how did it translate for the rest of the day? How did the NFL ratings go? I know... The the biggest national game on the America's game of the week, I believe it was the Fox game. Forgive me because I was traveling. That was the Dallas Cowboys and the Green Bay Packers that went to overtime. And that morphed into the Sunday night game with the 49ers and the Chargers. Overall, how did the windows do? How did the ratings do leading into Sunday night? Well, Cowboys Packers overtime. Uh, it was the most watched week 10 game in more than two decades. Uh, It's at least 2001. Or at least, actually, since at least 2000. So, uh, you know, that's pretty great. Uh, more than 29 million viewers, a season high, uh, the kind of number you used to get for the NFL back in the day. Out of home plays a role, obviously. You know, uh, this is a 14.9 rating and 29 million viewers. If you go back to the, the heyday of the NFL, if you got 29 million viewers, you were getting at least a 16 rating off of that. So we know that, obviously, in the era of out of home, you you will get uh, stronger viewership numbers even on a lower rating. 14.9 is still a great rating in this era. And uh, I think if you're the NFL, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, you, you got to be thrilled with that number. The other uh, windows were not really that great. Fox did see good numbers for that Vikings-Bills epic. Mm. Kind of a coming out party for Joe Davis, right? Kind of a weird thing to say. You just call it a World Series. But that game had more viewers than any game of the World Series. Right. That, that, True. that window 16.19. I really do think that might have been Joe Davis's coming out party, uh, you know, uh, and uh, he did reuse the blank of his life call. He did reuse that. Uh, it was the uh, swing of his life for Bryce Harper. This was the catch of his life for Justin Jefferson. What <laughs> what a catch. Can I tell yeah. you? So we yeah. we were not able to. Uh, we had the phones going uh, because of the airline that we were on. There was not live American TV capability. Mm-hmm. We were about to take off uh, to leave Munich, Germany, when the catch happened and all of that craziness later happened on the goal line where they don't get the touchdown. Uh, and then the uh, Bills end up fumbling into the end zone and the and the Vikings have scored. And then eventually they close the door and say to everybody, OK, it's going to be a little while before the Internet comes on the airplane. And we're mm-hmm. trying to figure it out upon takeoff from Munich back to Tampa Bay. But the oohs and ahs, even from the NFL players that were back mm-hmm. in the section where I was uh, of the airplane, the Buccaneer Charter airplane, when Justin Jefferson made that catch, because everybody's watching on their yeah. phone, John, or on their tablet. 
Uh, an incredible play. And, and the drama that went on, what was that, about 45 minutes at least that, that played out the end of that game in the overtime that yeah. had to have stoked things for Fox leading into the Cowboys game? Well, I'd be curious, you know, to know what the red zone audience was. We never see those numbers, of course. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I saw it all on red zone. It felt like red zone was solely on that game for a solid period of time, too. I mean, it was a great game. You know, uh, certainly maybe a Super Bowl preview. I mean, assuming the Vikings could ever overcome their their whole curse thing going on or whatever that is. With them. <laughs> but uh, it was, uh, you know, the NFL high drama. What regular season well, game? In any other? But if it's the Vikings and the Bills, neither one of them have ever won it, and have, have lost, I believe, four times between the two of them. Yes, uh, but each... the Bills, the Bills never lost in a year when they went fifteen and one to the Atlanta Falcons. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know. The Bills, the Bills uh, were devastating the first year they got to the Super Bowl. I don't know if they were fourteen and two, but they were devastating in those playoffs. And then yeah. Bill Parcells and the New York Giants. Used up yeah. the clock with their run game and their defense and the Scott Norwood missed field goal in Tampa, by the way, at the old Tampa Stadium for Super Bowl 25. But still, those are two tortured franchises and fan bases uh, well, for that. Did, that's wild. I did want to mention there's an entire generation of young kids, college age, who have no idea who Bill Parcells is. They've right. never seen him or heard of him. They have no knowledge of that guy at all. Right. Uh, kind of amazing much less do they know who bud grant and the vikings are and you don't know who bud grant is because i'm older than you i know bud grant because he walked out the purple people leaders yes well he walked out with uh with short sleeves on at the game uh where the vikings missed the kick right against the the freezing cold game against the seahawks good memory on that but he also was a really good football coach for the uh for the I know you know that for the Vikings in the seventies, they just could never get over the hump and win the Super Bowl. They lost the Super Bowl over and over again uh, in the seventies. In fact, they're invoking the name Bud Grant right now in Minnesota because the Vikings, uh, right now at this point of the season, are four clear, either three and a half or four clear of everybody in the NFC North or the old NFC Central. So they're having a great year. Maybe they're going to be there. Maybe not. So we were seeing some of the early games and again, uh, could not really see the the late stuff that was happening. Of course, the Cowboy collapse. You've heard the stat, right? One hundred and ninety five consecutive times in their long history. The Dallas Cowboys had won the game when leading by any point in the fourth quarter, including the beginning of the fourth quarter by 14 or more. Mm. They lost Sunday, leading in the fourth quarter, 14 points. Green Bay got them tied and beat them eventually in overtime. They're now 195-1 and all-time <laughs> after that uh, after that um, comeback. So uh, and maybe the Packers now show some resolve. We'll, uh, we'll see if that, if that rebounds them. Uh, is, certainly the L.A. Rams have fallen off mightily. Yes. And, uh, and that's the defending Super Bowl champs. Although, uh, you know, it's not surprising because it's so tough to repeat. We haven't seen that in in forever. But, man, the the Rams have really fallen off. And with Matt Stafford injured last week, they lose at um, home. I don't really know how good the Rams really were to begin with. You know what I mean? I know they made the Super Bowl and won it, obviously. But, you know, they never really came off like some kind of truly great team. And, I, you know... I mean, granted, I'm a casual, you know, I would submit they pushed all in for last year with the Vaughn Miller trade with Odell Beckham, uh, with the moves that they had made for the short term with getting Stafford, because everybody kept wondering, will Stafford be a long term solution or is this a quick thing where they have maybe a great year or two and that's it for him uh, later on in his career? All of it has come apart. I think I saw this other than the replacement season, which would have been the New York Giants as the defending champs. And they had a bad season in 1987 with the replacement players. This is the worst start by any Super Bowl champion, John Lewis, in the recent last 30 years of the NFL with the Rams currently sitting three and six headed into this weekend. It's been that bad. Uh for yeah. the Rams and for their struggles. All right, anything else of note from the NFL before we move on, including the Eagles, by the way, losing the Monday night game against the Commanders? Oh, yeah. Do we have a preliminary number in on how that Washington we upset sure did? Um, what do we have? Uh, 12.8 million viewers and, uh, you know, a pretty ordinary number. Uh, up 4% from last year, and last year had the Manning cast. This year didn't. 
but uh, it is worth noting last year's number is uh, not including the re the revision Nielsen with their undercount. So maybe it was not up as much as 4% in reality. Maybe it was even down slightly. You know what? ESPN says it was up 3%. So it was up 3% from last year. And they would, of course, have those revised figures uh, from Nielsen. So, you know, not bad, not a great number. But again, last year was the Manning cast and this year wasn't. So I didn't ask you, did the Sunday night game with the 49ers and the L.A. Chargers, which was a close game into the fourth quarter, yeah. did it end up doing decently comparatively yeah. to the last couple of years? Or how did it do? Only down about, you know, only down single digits. For a West Coast game, that's not too bad. You got to suffer these West Coast games on in prime time. Sick of them personally, right? I mean, these West Coast teams, they're not, they're not, you know, I mean, maybe Seattle, but, you know, uh, I don't know. The, the 49ers, they're, mm, the Chargers are going to be back on this week again. And of course, the Rams, right? So, you know. Uh, one of those where this wasn't a great matchup on paper, and NBC hasn't had a lot of great matchups all season. Well, remember, they've already flexed out for this week, uh, yeah. and and now it is, again, the Chargers, I believe it's the Chargers and the Chiefs, right? So, But they do that right. for Patrick Mahomes. Uh, and, uh, and again, uh, any chance they get to have Mahomes or maybe to have Tom Brady, Brady and the Buccaneers will play the Sunday night Christmas game. We'll be in Arizona for Christmas. I'm part of the Buccaneer radio broadcast mm -hmm. on that one. I'm curious if the NFL coming up, may try to flex the Buccaneer 49er game that is coming in a couple of weeks after the Buccaneer bye week and after they play the Browns. So it's coming the following week. If, uh, if you know, whether or not that game December 11th might get flexed into Sunday night football because it's Brady against the 49ers with the large San Francisco TV mm -hmm. market and the Brady factor, that night is supposed to be Chiefs-Broncos. Which, oh, you know, what what we have to say is we haven't seen enough of the Broncos in standalone national television yeah, situations, have we, I at know. this point? So nobody wants to see them. They'd rather watch the Lakers. We'll keep an eye. We'll keep an eye on that. All right. So there's some NFL talk with the season progressing on. John, let's turn things to a serious note. We found out as we were landing uh, back in um, in Tampa Bay of the horrific events that had been unfolding late Sunday night. Uh, on the campus of the University of Virginia in Charlottesville, Virginia. As it turns out, a uh, former football player ends up shooting five different classmate students that had been, John, from my understanding of all of this, had been together on a field trip to watch a play as part of a drama class and ends up shooting and killing three active members of the Virginia football team. We should say to the audience as we tape, uh, on Tuesday evening and release on Wednesday, it is still not clear whether the University of G Virginia, which has suspended everything on campus early in the week, will still follow through and play its football game this weekend. You may know that answer as the week unfolds. But, John, uh, I know you were paying particular attention to the coverage of this as it unfolded yeah. Sunday night and into Monday. You're much more apt to weigh in. I obviously jet lag getting back to Florida and having other stuff going on. You paid much more attention to it. What do you want to say? What are your thoughts on all this? Well, you know, obviously it's a tremendously horrible story, um, you know, uh, and uh, we're, not, we're not going to talk about the story. There's really nothing that we can add uh, to that. Uh, the coverage, I think, uh, does fall into the purview of what we can talk about on here. And uh, one, so I found this was a story that broke overnight. Uh, very immediately after this occurred, it was trending on Twitter. People were talking about it. And in the overnight hours, we knew, you know, immediately we knew that a football player had done it. So we immediately had the sports connection from that. Then as the overnight hours went along, it became increasingly clear he attacked other football players. Uh, so my thought going to bed Sunday, maybe around 4 or 5 a.m. Eastern, was, wow, you know, when I wake up tomorrow, we're not going to talk anything about Vikings bills. We're not going to talk anything about Cowboys Packers. It's going to be wall to wall on the sports channels coverage of this story, because realistically, we're talking about a triple homicide of football players at a division one mm -hmm. university in a power five conference. Right. My thought was, this is one of the biggest sports stories you'll see. Uh, and then you wake up in the morning and it's wall to wall NFL. Uh, you know, now my thought was, OK, well, this is what they have to do until you have confirmation on people's identities. You have to 
pulled off. So I understood. But then the confirmation came and they were still wall-to-wall football. The Noon Sports Center is talking wall-to-wall football. And not just wall-to-wall football. Everyone's chipper as heck, right? Hannah Storm is super chipper. Jay Harris is super chipper. We've got no tone at all that indicates anything serious occurred. It's like nothing happened. And I, you know, I don't get it because this was a sports story. It's, you know, and Dan Patrick, who Dan Patrick, we all, everybody, uh, most people like Dan Patrick, I would imagine. Right. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, Dan has this great show, the Dan Patrick show. They didn't talk about it at all, uh, you know. And then today, Dan was, you know, basically kind of punting a little bit on it. He said, well, you know, uh, I wish I could remember exactly what he said. It was something along the lines of, you know, uh, the news networks will do a better job of covering this than I will. And my thought was, that's not true. One, <laughs> this is a sports story. Two, you're Dan Patrick. <laughs> you have earned a certain level of respect. And uh, this, this is not like if Stephen A. Smith was going to talk about it, I'd be like, mm, I don't know. This might be too serious. Right. 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 Or, or, or Skip Baylor or something. But, you know, Dan Patrick is someone who covers this stuff. You know, I mean, he was. Yeah, I was surprised that I'm curious. Okay, so ESPN would obviously be the standard and you mentioned the Sports Center anchors, but obviously you had the undisputed show with Shannon Sharp and Skip Bayless. And that leads into also on FS1, Colin Cowherd's national radio TV simulcast. Were they not devoting at least a segment on the Talking Heads show? Were they not at least devoting some time on Colin Cowherd? I didn't get to see it. Were they not? Was Colin Cowherd not at least talking about this? Uh, bringing somebody on, or again, was it just NFL, NFL, and more NFL for those shows as well, John, from what you know? I mean, I got to be honest, I've never seen a single episode of any of those shows. I mean, I just honestly don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, I will say maybe, you know, look, I mean, uh, I obviously have no uh, liking at all of Skip Bayless. Mm -hmm. Uh, The fact of the matter is I've seen enough examples on the internet of Shannon Sharp and Skip Bayless talking about serious stuff that maybe they discussed it. I'd be surprised if they did, Um, you know, and on first take, all they did was Molly Karam. They they were on a break. Molly Karam came in and then for like 20 seconds flat reported the story and said, we'll have more coverage later commercial. They come back and talk more nonsense about all sorts of stuff. That doesn't matter. Sports center at the end of the a block, Jay Harris comes on 20 seconds. Hey, this happened. And then we'll talk about it more later. And they didn't talk about it for the rest of the entire episode. Mm. It's a one hour episode of Sports Center, you know, and so it's uh, it's I mean, I don't know. I mean, my expectations are based on an ESPN that hasn't existed for years and years and years. My expectations are based on an ESPN from a very different time in a different place that uh, is long gone. And uh, this is an ESPN. Now, the primary job is debate. The primary job is to debate the NFL and the NBA. That's it. This is not a sports news. And and run the games. And I know what you mean. And then run the games besides. Yeah, the games are an afterthought, though. But look, the reality is uh, this is a story that justified at least a Mark Schlebaugh phone interview. Now, they eventually had Mark Schlebaugh on site in Virginia, and they covered it on the Sean Van Pelt, Sean Van Pelt, wow, on the Scott Van Pelt Sports Center. Uh, And, um, you know, okay. I was going to say, because again, I'm I'm in many different worlds. Again, I'm jet lagged. I didn't even see the 6 p.m. Sports Center. Are you telling me that they weren't covering it by that time with the full understanding there are three active University of Virginia football players who've been murdered by a former football player on the campus while the season is going on. Mm -hmm. And they, and did they get, did they pay it some mind later in the night? I don't know the answer. I would think they had to. I bailed after the noon sports center. I hardly watch sports center at all anymore. uh, Like most people, 2022. And uh, you know, so so, uh, just, it leads to this. Can I follow up that their attitude might be, that we understand most people think like what you just articulated. And if you wanted to find this out, you would find it out from social media. You would find it out from other news outlets. Yeah. And we're going to do what sells for us, what, yeah. what makes us money, which is debate and show games. Well, I think it's a shame. I mean, it was a tremendous tragedy and it deserved a little sure. bit more attention than that. And, uh, you know, um, 
I don't know what, you know, I, I know that there are people who say, oh, well, you know, ESPN, they've got their agenda, you know, uh, you know, I don't think it had anything to do with anything other than ESPN and the rest of the networks just kind of wanting to stick to sports. But, you know, then again, they don't stick to sports all the time. Right. That's the big problem that a lot of people have is that they don't stick to sports all the time. Mm hmm. Um, I just don't know what the angle would be because people would say, oh, well, and, you know, this is like a purely ignorant suggestion, but I have seen it floating around, right? Well, this is a black perpetrator, so they don't want to highlight, right? This is a mindset that, you know, the mainstream media doesn't cover crimes by black people, which, by the way, is news to me, right? But, you know, uh, I I don't see why how how that would be the case. I mean, you know, I, I I just I don't see that being a, a well. I guess part of the I, argument, and we're just going down this road for a second because I don't I don't want to right. do another half hour. If this had been a white perpetrator killing the three black football well, players, yeah, is it not a legitimate and valid question? Would it have not gotten more attention because you've got an automatic assumption at that point this must be racially motivated? There must be racism yeah. behind it, and now so it now it gets covered differently. Fair. Yeah. I mean, I'm just hypothetically. No, I mean that is fair. That... Yeah, I mean, because you're absolutely right. I mean, that would be a massive story, and we'd had some, you know, some pretty significant debates about that by now. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it reminds me of the Waukesha thing, right? I mean, that was insane. This guy drives through a crowd of, you know, parade goers at Christmas time, kills a child and elderly people, and there's like no coverage. I mean, you know, that was kind of screwed up because obviously this was a black gentleman but gentlemen you know i use the word gentleman just kind a of a, a black perpetrator right. as you right. said yes i i use the word gentleman sometimes just like randomly you mm -hmm. know like just to cover whatever this was a black perpetrator uh and he ran over white people now if you reversed that mm -hmm. we'd still be talking about it right so there's an element of that but i don't think that was what was motivating espn and then if you wanted to say, well, ESPN, they had a political motivation here. Well, wouldn't the political motivation, if you think ESPN is so left wing, have been to cover this story? Because you would have the gun violence angle, the gun control angle, right? So I, I don't think that there's anything to that. But I just don't get I mean, I, again, all it is, it just comes down to, you know, I think, I think it's fair to say, because you've articulated it well, you're kind yeah. of incredulous. That's the word that I will use here. Right. Yeah. On this that they don't have an explanation if they want to call themselves a news outlet of any right. kind at this point as to why you're not covering it at all. Why yeah. are you not going to somebody on the scene, especially as heavily invested as ESPN is in college football? Right. And this is a power five ACC stalwart institution that's had active players shot to death and yeah. killed. I mean, it's yeah, it's, there's, there's not a real there's not a real valid reason right. why you weren't covering it more. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. We agree. The only other time that I can think of where I've been more surprised, well, not more surprised, because I'm mo this is the most surprising kind of news blackout-ish thing I've seen in sports in a long time. But when Tony Stewart straight up killed a dude mm -hmm. right, during a race, and it wasn't I mean, it was an accident, but it was in the course of a confrontation. So mm -hmm. he was wanting to go after this guy. And whoever you think is responsible, Tony Stewart, in an angry confrontation with somebody, killed that person. So let me just jump in. You don't yeah. know this, but I'm about to make your point a little bit on the coverage part of it. And I was directly involved. Okay, not in the specific situation, but in the coverage of this. So what you're talking about 
was a fatality on a dirt track in Western New York on a Saturday night where the following day Stewart was to have raced in the road course event in New York at Watkins Glen in the NASCAR race. Typically, drivers will do these kind of things where they're racing in another race on Saturday. And in his case, he's not doing it for money or fame. He just enjoyed open wheel racing in this case, outlaw racing, which if you know anything about racing on a dirt track, it's not the same as NASCAR or Indianapolis, not as fast. It takes a little more skill. It's on a dirt track. Um, Okay, so he's doing that. So what happens is he wrecks another driver. And so much of the time, the drivers on these lesser circuits have been watching throughout their lives and their careers. What happens when somebody wrecks you? You go and confront them. So this driver wants to confront Tony Stewart. And he is out on the track as Stewart is coming back by. And how much Tony Stewart saw him or not, uh, who knows? But he clearly runs into him. He runs into him at a decent rate of speed while they're doing caution laps and runs him over. And it ends up killing the other driver that's standing there on foot. So from my standpoint, I am the national guy on Fox Sports Radio every Saturday night at that time. So this incident happens during my shift, during my time. I said to the producer and everybody that's involved, uh, we're going into the mode of this and of this race. Anything else, whether I'm trying to remember the time of the year, I think it was baseball primarily. We were out of the college basketball season. I think, I think we were pretty much summertime. We did wall to wall, what you're describing, John, where I kept going over this. We went live to someone in uh, New York that had been, at the event, we found a media member that had been at the event and put them on to talk about what happened, what this person saw. I kept going on and on, and uh, and, and actually one of the executives at the network perked up, called in and said, great, keep going because you're on to something. And, even, and, and what I was being told is ESPN Radio wasn't even talking about this per se. They were in a lot of tape programming. I'm live talking about the Tony Stewart situation, updating the audience. This is a prominent championship series winning driver that has been involved in an accident that has killed another driver on a dirt track. And we were talking about it. We did that for the final two hours of the four hour shift. I did. It wasn't the only thing we did. We did cover scores. We did cover other things, but it goes to what you were talking about earlier. The mindset of are you in the news business still? And yeah. this is definitely news. A a segment news up at the top here. And why are you not covering it? So I thought I would right. share that since you brought that up. Yeah. And I mean that I, I was expecting that there was they were going to have a reporter sitting outside the courtroom every day of the trial. I mean, I thought Tony Stewart could go to jail for murder. And none of it played out like that. And now he's just on Fox. I mean you know, just it was basically deemed as an accident, as an awful accident where he claimed he could not see it it was dark enough where he could not see this individual in a night race coming out onto the track onto that small dirt track uh, to come at him. So yes, you're right. And things went on and I don't even know, honestly, we'd have to look and Google it. Was there a lawsuit that was settled probably for the estate of the individual that was killed? Um, So yes, but you're right. I mean, that was that was that night. And here in this case, that's hard to believe what you've described in the first uh, in the first, let's say, 48 hours as you and I are taping yeah. since that has been covered. And again, they had the vigil at the campus. Uh, the university officials, again, are still contemplating when do they resume? How do they resume mm-hmm. for the football season and for the mm-hmm. rest of the athletic events? They're at Virginia. Anything else to wrap up on that? No, I mean, no, not really. It was interesting to read, you know, mo- nearly all of the nearly all of the coverage has been in the news outlets. Right. And so it was interesting to read, you know, the, 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 they're talking to the, the students. They're like the students are a decade younger than me. And they're all talking about how they grew up on uh, mass shooting drills. I, I never had a mass shooting drill mm-hmm. once in my entire life. Right. Uh, like not even once. So, uh, I mean, it's it's interesting how quickly things do change. Um, you you want to know, know what's even scarier? It's going on at the elementary school level. 
elementary yeah. school level all over the country. Putting, yeah. But it's probably just putting the fear of God into kids, you know. But it's it's the practice and procedure of what do right. we do if there's an active shooter on our campus? Because right. look at the Uvalde situation yeah. where that's a young adult who's on the campus. Yeah. And what do you do? And they practice this, John. It's sad. It's sickening. But it's also necessary that you're dealing with little kids on what do we do if there's an active shooter while we go down that road. But you're right. I mean, that was another part of this because for a while it was unclear who had done this and they were locking down the University of Virginia campus mm -hmm. and and having to go into those procedures and practices right. of how do we alert everybody and how do we keep everybody safe if this person is indiscriminately randomly going around and shooting and killing people right. that he doesn't know. You've got to have those practices and procedures in place. Yeah. And of course, this wasn't random. You know, this was not a, this, this really was not a traditional mass shooting mass shooting as as really the definition, the unofficial definition, just what we all think of is or some lunatic going and shooting people randomly. That's kind of the most terrifying thing about it is that you would have no way of expecting. Now, of course, not that these kids at Virginia would have had mm -hmm. any way of expecting, but certainly, you know, they were they, targeted is what right, you're saying. Exactly. It when was them. When you're targeted, then there's a pre-existing relationship. You know, there's at least, you know, I mean, granted, you probably would still have no idea that the person you know would be capable of that. But, you know, uh, it, it is a little bit different in that regard. And, you know, the interesting thing about the gun discussion is that so much of the gun discussion doesn't focus on all of the more, let's say, ordinary, if you can use that word, acts of gun violence, which is, you know, people who know each other, uh, one person targets, you know, a, a friend, uh, mm -hmm. you know, a, a spouse or something like that. Ultimately, you know, uh, there's been some work done. I think the gun control bill this last year was supposed to close loopholes on spouses uh, and, and maybe be a little bit uh, more stringent in terms of people who have been accused of domestic violence. But realistically, you know, and, and look, the fact is maybe ESPN wanted to avoid this story so they wouldn't have to talk about all this stuff. Maybe instead of ESPN avoiding this story for political motivation, maybe their political motivation is being afraid of being viewed as having a political motivation. But, you know, no matter what the reason is, there's no excuse for it. Uh, I think it was ridiculous. Not if you want to be taken seriously as a news outlet. Right. I mean, yes, we probably could care less about being taken seriously there you go. That way anymore. There you Bob go. Lee's not walking through that door. Bob Lee's long gone. I mean, he's probably still in Connecticut, but he's long gone. Figuratively. I think that's a good way to wrap on that. One more subject here. We are going to play some love it or leave it uh, and lighten it up a little bit here in a few moments. Uh, the NBA, you've been going over some ratings. Mm -hmm. You've got some interesting comments from the head of uh, Warner Media. Tell me some more about the latest with the NBA here as we get into, into a way with uh, this week. Well, Joe Flint of the Wall Street Journal. I think he's still with the Wall Street Journal. Uh, maybe, let's see. Yep, he's still at the Wall Street Journal. He was reporting today uh, that uh, 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 Zaslav, the, uh, uh, the man behind Warner Brothers Discovery, David Zaslav, this mm -hmm. guy has a terrible reputation as uh, one. I mean, look, we all know what Discovery Channel puts out there. There was a time when Discovery Channel meant something intelligent, you know, something to feed your brain. And uh, it's basically Discovery Channel is now what Fox was in the days of when animals attack. And it's not just Discovery Channel, it's the entire Discovery brand. That's the David Zaslav brand is, you know, schlock, right? And it's cheap to make. And hey, you know, more power to him. Uh, he's built an empire off of all that schlock. Uh, Turner and Time Warner and Warner Media, they are not schlock. Uh, we're talking about Warner Brothers here. We're talking about, you know, whether you agree with their stuff or not. You're talking about CNN, Turner Sports. These are blue chip brands that were not built through cheap reality shows. Uh, and uh, the, the culture clash is obvious. I mean, it's it's not going to work. It's, yeah, I, I suspect, you know, hey, last week I said the Democrats were going to get destroyed and instead they have the best midterm that you could possibly ever have as the incumbent party. So maybe I'm wrong, but I suspect that this whole circumstance with Warner Media and 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 Zaslav and Discovery is going to fail because I mean he's going to either destroy the Warner side of things or 
well, no, he's there's no either. He is going to destroy the Warner side of things. Uh, and his motivation is primarily more than anything to uh, cut costs. Fair enough. Well, if you want to cut costs, you're not renewing with the NBA because you're already paying $1.2 billion a year. You're going to have to pay a lot more than that. And the NBA is very valuable. But if your primary concern is cutting costs, then you know it doesn't really matter if you can win a few Thursdays in the fall. Let me let me suggest this. I'm a much bigger college basketball fan than I am NBA guy. The college game, sorry for John or anybody else that, you know, will take this for what it is, which is what we like and what we don't like. The college games to me are much more meaningful in the regular season. There are few of them. There are fewer of them. The importance goes up much quicker than in the NBA, blah, blah, blah. Turner's heavily involved in the televising of March Madness expensively. Wouldn't logic dictate if they're trying to cut a cost, they get out of televising the NCAA tournament somehow, some way down the road before they ditch the NBA. I'm just saying that speculatively out loud. If you were going to get rid of something, the NBA is more prominent beginning of the season, end of the season, because the NCAA tournament coverage is only in March with Turner. Wouldn't that be the route they would look to cut? If you were cutting things, well, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, look, uh, I said that the tournament is a bargain earlier. I said that on uh, on a social media website run by Elon Musk, right? I said that <laughs> Turner is, you know, well, you've said on this podcast too in previous, yeah, yeah, and you know, by the way, I should give credit again. My student, uh, my former student, who's done some work on the site, Adam, is who pointed this out. Yeah, I had never really thought about it like that, honestly. And then he said, you know, in class, you know, this Turner NCAA deal is a real bargain. Uh, Turner, the NCAA is vastly underpaid and that's true but if you're Zaslav and you're thinking about you know bang for your buck or whatever it is that his his mindset is the fact is it is only three weeks you're splitting it with cbs you're not getting the best games every time and in fact really the first weeks of the tournament even in years where you have the final four you're not getting the best games period right uh on on the first couple of weekends of the tournament cbs is getting the duke games nine times out of ten mm-hmm so, you know, maybe that's the next one, but that's all the way through 2032. So we got a long time. I mean, the, the new, the extension has not even kicked in. Yet. I learned, I learned a long time ago though, too, there's gotta be outs and maybe there's an out where maybe. they pay a penalty and they can get out if they want. I'm not saying they will. I don't have any all information. Right. I'm not reporting anything. I'm just using the common sense test. Am right. I in danger? Am I in danger because no. I'm using the common sense test? I think that it, if, that... wouldn't, wouldn't it make more sense to keep the NBA and trim fat if you will, if you want to consider the NCAA tournament coverage fat, it, that would that would make more sense to me than it would be to not renew the NBA, which seems to be much more ingrained with Turner. And you have that from the beginning of the season all the way through yeah. the postseason, like seven months of coverage. You know, be, well, here's the thing. Yeah, I, I'm sure Turner will renew for $1.2 billion, the same they're paying now. But the NBA is not going to want that. They're going to want mm. a lot more money. And remember, the NBA, uh, CNBC reported last year, the NBA is going to want $75 billion for the total package, which would come out, depending on the length of the deal, to, I don't know, several billion dollars, more than they're currently making per year. And if you split that between ESPN and TNT and maybe Amazon, maybe Apple, who knows, that's still going to be more than $1.2 billion for each individual partner. Ridiculous so, numbers. Just yeah. incredible to contemplate. Keep going. Yeah. So, you know, we'll see. I mean, uh, Zaslav, uh, we all know this is a bit of a negotiating tactic. This guy reminds me so much of Mark Shapiro when he was at ESPN, which is constantly shooting his mouth off, just constantly shooting his mouth off. And uh, reminds me a little bit, too, of the guy from Futurama, the 80s guy uh, who came in and took over Planet Express. Uh, and, you know, I mean, look, I don't know. I'm sick and tired of all these, you know, brash talking people and billionaires it's tiresome okay something that we can't relate to we don't have billions but we have covered uh that and now let's get to some more and laven it up a bit love it or leave it okay as i mentioned i spent the weekend literally in another continent in another country in munich germany i did get the opportunity to go to the olympic grounds in the olympic village for the munich 1972 olympics which had a lot of crazy things happen obviously horrifically uh the terrorist situation with taking the israeli athletes and coaches hostages that's at the forefront uh very moving very sad to be about around the memorial for that it's right by the olympic village john that is still standing to this day and is inhabited by residents of munich that live there 
in, in some form of housing, uh, you go to the memorial, you're right there. You're like less than 100 yards away from where those uh, Israelis were taken hostage. So it is very spooky, very sad. Uh, but that those Olympics were known for a lot of crazy things. The USA uh, amateur basketball team losing to the Soviet yep. Union in controversial fashion. And to this day, John Lewis, the U.S. basketball team members in USA basketball, they never claimed the silver medals yeah. from those Olympics. And they're still in a bank vault in Munich, Germany. That's what the IOC decided to do. They've never been claimed. They're still there. Those 72 Olympics, I was right by the Olympic Hall where the gymnastics was. That's the first ever perfect 10 by a gymnast in the Olympics, and that was Olga Corbett of the Soviet Union that did that. Mark Spitz, I was right by the, what they call the natatorium or the uh, the swimming venue. That's all right. These are all within easily, John, 100 yards less of walking distance. They were all right beside each other. It's incredible. Right near the Olympic Village, Mark Spitz won seven individual gold medals in swimming in those 72 Olympics. No athlete since then in any sport, no single athlete has ever won that many gold medals in any Olympics since. And that happened in those 72 Olympics. So I'm just sharing, I loved me some nostalgia from the Olympics, walking around that place on Saturday for two or three hours and uh, and seeing all of that and seeing the Olympic Stadium, et cetera. It was quite the nostalgic Saturday for me. So I just wanted to share that with you. Do you get into the Olympic nostalgia like I just rattled off there even a little bit, going um, back to the history and seeing and comparing things? You know, for me, uh, first Olympics I remember is 96. Uh, you remember that? Make mostly. me feel old again as we tape the podcast. Yeah, keep making, keep reminding me how old I am. Keep going. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, that's the first Olympics I remember. Uh, really, you remember the bombing more than anything with that particular mm -hmm. Olympics. Um you know, I don't know. I mean, the Olympics is an event I always enjoy, but uh, I don't know. Uh, really, I mean, I didn't watch in 2000. I didn't even know it was on in right. 2000. 04, 08, Beijing. You know, I don't know. I mean, the Olympics is nice. It comes and goes. It was an Olympics this year. Who even remembers, right? Well, 2008 obviously had Michael Phelps with the swimming. Yes. It had USA basketball with Coach K and company regaining the gold yep. medal with all the pro players with uh, Kobe Bryant and uh lebron and all the all the famous uh nba stars coming back into the fold because they had kind of gotten away from playing after after we won big yeah. in 96 as the follow-up to the dream team one in sydney in 2000 although a couple of the games were close games eventually finished with bronze medals in the 04 athens game so it became a bigger deal yeah. in 08 um but the gymnastics is always big in the olympics for the united states yeah. so Yes, but it was just neat to be around there and be around the Munich Olympic Stadium, which they still use for soccer or football, for concerts. Uh, it, it's just it's fascinating to be around all of that uh, right there where they they built all of that in 1970. It's all still standing and all the yeah. structures and a lot of them still get used for different things and for different events. Let's move on. Love it or leave it. Sadly, uh, since we did our last podcast, it was announced that Fred Hickman passed away. Fred, mm -hmm. known yeah. for being with Nick Charles on CNN Sports Tonight, the staple program of sports news on CNN for the 1980s and the 90s, for sure. Those two guys were reservation TV, almost uh, appointment television. If you were a sports fan wanting the highlights pre-internet, I know this is a little before your time. Uh, yeah. but what, what about Fred Hickman and Nick Charles? Because they were the alternative to the ESPN sports centers that had Chris Berman and Bob Lee and Dan Patrick and the others love it or leave it there, John on yeah. the Hickman Charles iconic pairing. Well, I can't speak to Fred Hickman and Nick Charles and their partnership and, and, and watching them. Uh, you know, I, I only know of them in retrospect, but Honest, you know, I'm going to shock people. That's really how I know Dan and Keith, too, is in mm -hmm. retrospect. But for whatever reason, I feel like I watched Dan and Keith when they were together, even though I definitely didn't. And I think that's partially because ESPN still exists, one, whereas CNN Sports doesn't. Right. And ESPN would always do the nostalgia. And even if you weren't around for Dan and Keith, you were around for Dan and Keith if you've watched enough ESPN. You know what that was. You know the catchphrases. And honestly, you know the vibe. Even if you weren't really there, you still, you get, you know what they were doing and you get the vibe of it. With Nick Charles and Fred Hickman, I don't really know any of that stuff. You know, I mean, it's, I kind of, I guess, I, I wouldn't be able to, speak authoritatively about their partnership because it's not like CNN 
you know, even cares that it used to air sports. Uh, and uh, you know, there's no one really carrying the flag for what they were doing. Um, you know, my knowledge of Fred Hickman, uh, honestly, primarily comes from when he worked at ESPN right. later in his career. He was the, the, the he was their NBA studio host, their lead NBA studio host. Uh, obviously, everyone at ESPN has had at least one turn at hosting their NBA studio <laughs> coverage, right? Uh, but, um, you know, uh, he, he had the unfortunate uh, luck of hosting their NBA studio probably at the lowest point of their NBA studio coverage. It was him. Uh, Greg Anthony in his final years there, Tim Legler, uh, not really the best version of that show, which I'm not going to put his, at, at his feet. Uh, ESPN was just kind of slumping back then with the NBA coverage. Dan Patrick was hosting too. The year when Fred Hickman and Dan Patrick hosted, and those are two of the greats we've ever seen, right. was probably the worst year ESPN had on the NBA studio side. All right, so I may blow you away with something. Yeah. Uh, you probably know this. Dan Patrick began at CNN and yeah. began hosting yeah. CNN Sports Tonight and their weekend show and eventually would host a lot of the time as a fill-in on the week on the weeknights with Nick Charles when Fred Hickman was gone or with Fred Hickman when Nick Charles was gone. Yeah. So you'd have Dan Patrick sitting there with one of those other guys, and that was an iconic seat to be in, John Lewis, yeah. to be sitting there because, again, this is pre-internet. You don't know the highlights. Yeah. You haven't seen the games, et cetera, et cetera. And again, you can't you can't stress enough uh, that these guys were iconic for some 15 years in the 80s yeah. and all the way through the 90s. Uh, once the internet began to show more highlights, it became a bigger deal. Uh, they were together like five times as long as Dan and Keith, yeah. by the way. Dan and Keith were only together like three and a half or four years, believe it or not, yeah. as the as the Sports Center tag team partners before Oberman took off in the uh, mid 1990s to do other things. So those those guys were well known on uh, on tuning in to watch it and again CNN would do 23 and a half hours of news, the 30 minutes of sports. They would re I think they would replay sports tonight like uh later on. It was not a new version of it. They would replay, let me say that again, sports tonight for the longest time. It was not a new, you know, 1 a.m. version of sports tonight. Uh I think Vince Cellini, remember that name? Vince Cellini became the first of guy who started doing the late night version of sports tonight that was a brand new show with west coast highlights and all of that but that was fred and nick uh going over all of this with the biggest days uh fred hickman had recently most recently i actually was around him a couple of times had been in the new orleans television market covering uh, all the new orleans teams including the new orleans saints i would see him at buccaneers and new orleans saints games uh, didn't know me from the usher that was helping people find their seats, but it was still interesting to be around him and they deserve, yeah. they definitely deserve a recognition and a remembrance for being uh, yeah. two of the, two of the sports news trailblazers on cable TV. Yep. Those two, Nick Charles died many years ago of cancer. Yes, and now Fred, Fred Hickman, who, by the way, one more quick note, was the first ever uh, personality seen and heard on the Yes Network. Fred Hickman yep. left CNN and helped launch the Yes Network, which has obviously had the New York Yankees, previously had, do they still have the Brooklyn Nets? Of course. What were the New Jersey it's Nets? I'm trying to remember Brooklyn what Nets, else they had. Yeah. But the first person you ever saw when that network kicked off, I believe 2003, I think, or somewhere around there. Four. Yeah, somewhere around there. Where it was, Fred Hickman was the first yep. personality on the Yes Network. Yep. So yeah. there the you moment, go. On that. Uh, you know, the moment of 9-11, that's when CNN Sports ended. Uh, that was a big transition period. They brought in Aaron Brown and uh, Aaron Brown and Paul Azan, and they mm -hmm. were both supposed to debut later, and they both debuted that day. I mean, that was a paradigm shift in media. Beyond, I mean, mm -hmm. obviously a paradigm shift in everything, but media as well. A lot of stuff began that day that we still see today, right. including the bottom line. But that was the end of Sports Tonight on CNN. And, uh, you know, uh, they both went their separate ways, and Nick Charles was on Showtime doing their boxing when he got sick, and... You know, well, I was surprised, you know, Nick Charles, he died 11 years ago. He died at 64. Fred Hickman died at 66. You wouldn't really have known that they were that far apart in age. Uh, but, um, you know, uh, certainly uh, they were, a, you know, again, I can't speak authoritatively, but a great partnership. They were and they were the best of friends, too, away from all of this. And there's a famous story uh, where Fred Hickman had had drug problems. And Fred Hickman talked about this and Fred Hickman got himself in trouble. And there was some talk as to whether or not he would not be a, a welcome back to yeah. CNN Sports tonight. And you know who stood up for him the most and said, we need to give him a second chance. This is my partner. This is this is my one of my best friends. 
It was Nick Charles who said to CNN, who said, I, I think ultimately to Ted Turner and any other executives, we need to give him another chance and have him back here. And Fred Hickman, I know, talked. I remember an interview where he talked that Nick didn't have to do that for me. Uh, as much as we were friends, he was putting his own career on the line because they could have looked at both of us and said, you're both gone. We'll do it with yeah. somebody else. So, uh, yeah, just we've given it some time here on the SportsMediaWatch.com yeah. podcast, but deservedly so. You do not, if you did not uh, crave sports news and highlights in the 80s and the 90s, you do not appreciate how big a deal the two guys we've been talking about were on CNN. They were the guys. Yeah. It's not like a fleet of people were doing that. Yes, there was Dan Patrick. Yes, there was Gary Miller, Vince Cellini that would occasionally fill in for them. They were correspondents a lot of times on CNN sports coverage. But those were the two guys almost every night, 52 weeks out of the year, that were doing the sports news on CNN. So good on that. Let's liven it up with one more. Love it or leave it. We've got Thanksgiving fast approaching and all the food and all the festivities and all of the stuff. I, I, I guess this is more of a question uh, for next week. But have you got the map? Have you got the game plan? We were talking about this in my household, too, on where we're going. And this is millions yeah. of people that are trying to figure this out. Who's cooking what? Who's bringing what? Love it or leave it, the Thanksgiving feast. Are you leaving it alone this week? Or are you already on the case already? Or what's I haven't the story? Even been, I haven't even begun thinking about it. Okay. Uh, you know, so, uh, you know, my household, every Thanksgiving, it's three people. I haven't had a Thanksgiving with more than three people in the house in many years. <laughs> Might change this year. I don't know. Okay. All right. Uh, you know, so uh, post pandemic, I understand some more people may be coming over if that's the case. Yeah. yeah uh, so we'll see. But uh, I, I, you know, typically just get a turkey, get a little ham, you know, maybe mm-hmm. some macaroni. And, and but and, for right now, none of that has really been activated and no. put into the game plan. It's leave it for right now for this. Yeah, week, I, I, I just not even it's not even my wife, radar. because I just got back from Germany. My wife did look at me on the night that we're taping this podcast and say, are you here for Thanksgiving <laughs> because of all of the work duties? Yeah. And I said, yes, I will be here and be looking to consume uh, as much as possible with all of the football. And, and again, we'll talk more about this next week and the Turkey Day and the memories and the different mm-hmm. stuff. But I was just curious because so many you got to start ordering those honey baked hams. Yeah. There's a free oh, plug yeah. for them. They ought to sponsor the show because they run Where out of them. Where do you order them from? Because I just get them from like, you know, the store. Well, the Honey Bake Ham store, yes, or you can order them online, but they go quickly. And certainly if you wait till next Monday or Tuesday as we release this podcast, you're in big trouble that they may be out okay. in your local market or online. They may not have as much. For the uh, uh, Those are always a big, big seller this time of year and right around Christmas time. They're a big seller. So, yes, on the Thanksgiving. All right, we have come to the end. Uh, here, anything else in closing that we have left out? Anything else that we need to talk about, commemorate? Anything uh, else going on? Yeah, I gave David Zaslav a little bit too much credit. He's not a billionaire, obviously. He's a network executive. Billionaires don't run TV networks, although I'm sure Elon Musk. Well, wait, uh, wait a minute. Doesn't Rupert Murdoch run the News Corp? And isn't he a billionaire? Or wouldn't he be close? Yeah. Yeah. yeah Murdoch well, he doesn't, he doesn't specifically he? run like Fox News, is your point. Oh, yeah. He's worth $17 billion. Huh. Okay. <laughs> Rupert. Well, right. All of that's due to Mar- Mar- uh, Marge Simpson. I meant to say Bart, but Marge is also correct. Um, but, you know, look, so Zaslav, I think his net worth is like 200 million. Uh, I, I think I was just projecting about Elon Musk. You know, I'm not one of these anti-Elon Musk people, right? I'm not reflexively anti-Elon Musk. Uh, I, I didn't really care that he took over Twitter. I'm not sitting down going, oh, my gosh, Elon Musk is going to destroy democracy and all this nonsense. But I will say he has certainly embarrassed himself uh, because I didn't have any negative expectations of Elon Musk. But, uh, man, I guess I should have because he's really come in with no plan and uh, no seriousness. He's taken this without any seriousness at all. Uh, and if you're like me and you were kind of neutral on him, haven't really been paying much attention to him and don't really get what all the fuss is about and what all the panic and fear and all that nonsense is about, certainly, uh, you know, I still wouldn't be sitting around panicking about Elon Musk, but uh, I can say, uh, uh, you know, I I now understand why people had a low opinion of him coming in. He's he's really, really. Well, but this is, this is an interesting debate point right here at the end of the show. There's a couple of different things that I think are worth illuminating. Number one, private situation. He bought it. There, there's been numerous, numerous, numerous examples of people that bought something, bankrupted it, wrecked it, yeah. it ended. It happens. Um, there is another school of thought that he has so much money 
that he will fool around with this, figure it out, give it time, reinvent it, rebrand it into something else over the course of time that there may, you know, there may not be a coherent plan right now, but he's got so much money, he can right. float along and make it into something else coming up. Yeah. I will I will say one thing that needed to be done and here we go back to journalism, fairness, balance or whatever, as the more that we begin to learn on what was systematically being done to silence some, not all, but to silence some that you disagree with, uh, if he is restoring, hey, we're not going to have the policy and the plan that some get silenced while others do not, and I'm going to get rid of all the people that were involved in that and and eradicate it, then I think that's a good thing. Uh, and here's another thing to contemplate and keep in mind when we go along with this. You and I are active on Twitter. There are you know millions that are. There are tens of millions that don't care, oh, that don't course. have Twitter, yeah. don't watch. That's That's the one thing that so many people that are on Twitter – I think get too caught up in yeah. you were using before about gullible when we were talking right. about Kyrie Irving a couple of weeks yeah. ago, there are a lot of gullible people that believe that everybody cares about Twitter. Yeah. Most everybody doesn't care about Twitter and is not on it. I'm breaking news on the sportsmediawatch.com podcast. Let me say again, millions and millions, tens of millions of Americans aren't on Twitter and don't care about all of yeah. this and all the fuss, even though we do Just thought yeah, I would well, give you some thoughts on that. Yeah, you know, I mean, look, uh, I mean, Twitter, I mean, I will say uh, I, I don't mind that Trump has been banned from Twitter. You know what I mean? Like, I, I mean, I, I don't need to be seeing this lunatics nonsense every day. I, I, I don't mind that. I will say it's certainly obvious that, as you said, I mean, I, I don't think conservatives are, you know, wrong about Twitter having some double standards. Let's be real. I, there's very few people who've put out more COVID misinformation than uh, Eric Feigelding. And I'm pretty sure he hasn't been corrected once. Right. Uh, so, you know, there's definitely a problem there. But, uh, you know, look, the reality of the matter is Elon came in with no plan, no ideas. And the the big thing, the thing that made me go, oh, wow, this guy really actually is an idiot, like they said, was the whole business of letting people buy blue check marks. The, it diminishes the entire point of the blue check mark. Now, there's this idea because people hate the blue checks. And I understand that perspective, right? Because a lot of people with blue check marks are very obnoxious, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but the reality of the matter is a blue check is not supposed to be a, you know, hey, you're great. Here's a blue check. A blue check is supposed to be this person is who they say they are and they are a public figure. It's not supposed to be, hey, this random person has a blue check mark because they paid you for it. And you see the blue what check What about mark the counter argument yeah. that he was trying to point out the absurdity all of, of all of this and has done so, and he just doesn't care? He doesn't well, care he doesn't that the free-for-all yeah. has gone on here for right. the last but, few you know, weeks when you have it. what when you have what was going on Sunday night with Virginia, and you want, when you see that blue check mark, it, that it means it's a reporter. It's somebody who knows, somebody in some level of authority, not just some random guy. And that's the big thing. And then the other thing too, people can get a blue check mark and pretend to be somebody they're not. That's so correct. you automatically and that it was so poorly executed. I mean, look, if Twitter goes down, I'm I don't believe that Twitter is so important for the site that I'm gonna be concerned if it goes down. I think certainly Twitter is good in terms of getting your content out there. Uh there are people who have read my work who I would never have read my work otherwise because I'm on this site. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I do think Twitter by and large is, has been bad for everybody. Uh, I think it's been uh, the, the easiest, quickest way to make yourself look like a clown. And I'm not exempting myself from that. I think, you know, there are people who I had a high opinion of who you see their tweets and then you stop having a high opinion of them. You know what I mean? Uh, and I hope I haven't been, I mean, granted, who had a high opinion of me, right? Because I'm just, I just write about sports media, but you know, look, I mean, yeah, certainly I, I'm, I'm cognizant of the fact that I have not, it, it took me probably about 10 years to being on Twitter before I figured out that uh, being a weird confrontational person probably wasn't the best way to go about it. Unfortunately, right. there's a lot of people who haven't learned that lesson, but I, I, it took me too long, but at least I learned it. Just take uh, consolation. I'm again going to remind you yeah. that probably... I'm going to make up my own number. 75% of Americans are never on Twitter. Yep. Maybe more. So yeah. as much as we toil over the impact 
It's a social media outlet that tens of millions of people don't partake in, don't watch, don't see. All right. On that note, I think we're good from all else. Uh, we get ready for a, another week to unfold with everything from uh, college football. By the way, all the screaming that's gone on on Tuesday night with the college basketball. Great doubleheader. Yep. Uh, the Michigan State-Kentucky game went into double overtime. It delayed the rankings being released for the college football playoff. Oh, my Lord. We we didn't know that Georgia's one, Ohio State's two, Michigan's yeah. three, and TCU's four. We had to we had to have ESPN and Reese Davis say it officially, John. Yeah. Well, uh, you gotta have the rankings. You gotta know where who's number twenty-five, right? You know the, you know, the other stuff. Really? They should be doing this on Tuesdays anyway. It wastes everybody's time. Just do it Sunday. You know, nobody needs this committee nonsense. Just uh, you know, get rid of the whole playoff committee. Get rid of the playoff. Just go AP, and the AP selects the national champion at the end of the year. That's my thought. Right, because there was never any controversy with that. Uh, hey, this is sarcasm. This controversy drips. anyway. The sarcasm drips from the end of the sportsmediawatch.com podcast. Oh, I uh, I wanted to mention uh, before uh, I go. I said last week, you know, who had a better chance of uh, what was what was a better chance of happening? The Democrats holding the House or the Lakers making the play in? Democrats nearly held the House. They got really shockingly close. Uh, and so I don't know if that means that the Lakers are going to be good. Maybe, I mean, if I was as wrong about the Democrats as I was last week, then maybe there is hope for the North Charleston low Gators, uh, AKA the Los Angeles Lakers. Maybe there's some hope for the Asheville altitude over there at, uh, crypto.com arena, you know, to, uh, the Huntsville flight. Right? You're just going through all of the names, aren't you? Yeah. If I let you keep going, uh, those are, I, I assume those are G League team names, uh, right? Well, D League. D or D League or G yeah, League. The, the, the original was the D League. Oh, the, real, the, the original D League name. Ansu Cisse and the Ansu Cisse and the North Charleston Logators. We have digressed on this. Love it. You know, on, love it on, on that, not leave it on those names. I don't know if he was a G League or D League player or not, but there was this guy on the Lakers named Sumalia Samaki. I don't know if he ever actually played in an NBA game in real life, but in mm -hmm. NBA Live 2001, <laughs> if you took a half court shot with with uh, Sumalia Samaki, it would go in. And uh, I know I knew this because I you know, not to be NBA confused game. with Samaki Walker, who did play no. in the NBA. And Samaki Walker was on those Laker teams, but Sumalia Samaki, I hit a game winning shot from half court with him once. And it was amazing on the video you know, game. Yeah. I and mean, when I did it again, it was like, well, this has got to be a glitch, right? He's not able to do this twice. Uh, what I would do at that time is my left hand would be one controller and my right hand would be the other because I didn't want to have to play against a computer. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I was, you know, I didn't, I didn't have any playmates. To, to, How did we get here from the Democrats trying to scrounge a few seats to, to not uh, be in the minority in the House to the Lakers to you playing NBA 2K 2001? Is it what you're saying? No, it was NBA Live 2001. NBA, 2K, NBA Live. 2K okay. wasn't even around back then. I, All right. Maybe one one control. controller in one hand, one in the other, so that you didn't have to play the computer. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Uh, on that note, I think we're good. Find us wherever you get podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. John Lewis, thank you as always. We covered a bunch here on the show. We'll be reading you more on the site as we go along. We thank you here, sir. All right. Thank you. And we thank you for finding us as well on the SportsMediaWatch.com podcast.